Springbrook on this kind of gloomy Sunday. Uh, if you're watching online, don't forget that there's someone available for a prayer or any questions you may have. But right now, let's stand and let's begin to worship.
So we pour out 
We sing all the earth. So all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Father, we just thank you for overcoming that grave and in doing so, raising us up from a sinless nature, forgiving what we thought impossible to forgive. God, the amount of grace that you've shown is uncomprehendable. show that grace to us anyway and we've never deserved it and for that we can't help but have this everlasting joy to say that we will praise your name with every last breath within our lungs because great are you Lord we thank you we praise you this morning we invite you into this place Good morning, Springbrook. Uh, my name is Andy Suarez, and I am one of our elders here. And I was so excited today because I'm holding the pastor appreciation bags, and there's just so many cards and gifts from you guys. And I just I thank you so much for just the appreciation that, that I can feel in my hands right now. Um, I'm going to invite the pastors out uh, and the and the elders that are here also. If you want to come up on stage, um, we're going to present these gifts uh, to our pastors as. As you may know, uh, the month of October has been Pastor Appreciation, so we've been um, collecting cards, gifts, um, encouraging you to share any stories of, uh, 
of what Springbrook's been doing for you or how the pastor's messages have affected you or just um, just in general just about Springbrook to them. And I just I thank you for all the stuff that you guys have been doing and, uh, and the cards and gifts that are, you guys have been giving. Uh, we are going to continue to keep a, a basket out there if maybe me talking about this is like a reminder for you. I've got that card at home. Uh, we'll leave that basket out there another week or so, um, and then we'll get that back off to the pastors. But um, I just want to thank you. I want to present these. Brian, can you help me out here? The names are on there. Um, I am going to ask in a minute. Um, we're going to come on down off the stage, and if you if you feel led, please come forward. Uh, we're going to place hands on the pastors and just just pray for them. Um, just pray for this this season. We want to be spending all year long just appreciating our pastors. There's so much stuff that they do. There's so many different ways that they're gifted, and they've just really been blessing this church. And uh, we just want to we want to pray for them and, and and pray for their wives and just be thankful for them. So when we we come down off of the stage, if you want, come on forward. We're going to be laying hands and we're going to. Uh, pray for our pastors. Father God, thank you. Thank you so much for Springbrook Community Church, and thank you for our pastors here at Springbrook. Uh, we're grateful for the shepherding and the teaching and the leading that they've, they've done at this church. Father God, we ask that you protect them, protect their wives, protect their families, uh, protect all the things that are happening around them. We ask that you encourage them and help them have endurance to continue to run the race. Uh, we're grateful for you and all of the provisions that you've given us at Springbrook. And again, we just are grateful for the pastors that you have um, put over your church. So we ask that you be with them um, and strengthen them and encourage them. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome to Springbrook. I don't know who is more grateful for who. <laughs> I am so grateful for this. We have got a great church. We've got a great congregation. I'm so thankful for our staff and for our elders and for our leaders. And for those of you that call Springbrook Church your home, uh, we have a lot to be thankful for. And so uh, we want to welcome you if this is your first or second time with us today. Uh, we hope that uh, you feel a, that you can get connected here. You've got a connection card. Uh, you can share with us as much information as you feel comfortable sharing. Uh, if you want to text and just let us know you were here, you can text here to that number, and uh, I'd love to sell. So, uh, so thank you for that. And then um, also wanted to let you know that we have our concert of prayer coming up. It's going to be on uh, November 18th. It's going to be a Saturday evening. Uh, we did the a concert of prayer uh, several months ago as a part of our Prayer First initiative, and so um, Kyle and his team have been working together to put together a, uh, a concert of prayer for us on, on November 18th. Um, we're going to get together, we're going to sing, and uh, we've got some passages to share. We're going to hear some stories of where God's been working in our lives, and so I just want to encourage you uh, to come out for that. It's, uh, information is on our website for that as well, but uh, mark your calendars now for our concert of prayer. And then also, marriage date night. I know we've, uh, we've sold, I think there's uh, close to 100 people that have registered so far. Um, yesterday was National First Responders Day, and so I want to thank all of those that serve uh, our community, whether it's police, fire, first responders, medical, 
uh, dispatch. And so uh, we have a lot of first responders at Springbrook, and we just want to let you know how much we uh, appreciate you. Uh, if you're a first responder and you want to go to a marriage date night, we're offering uh, 50% off the ticket pricing for that. And so we'd love to be able to bless you and your family for that. And so uh, if you want more information about marriage date night, if you have not signed up for that yet, um, it's not, you know, you want to be able to, it's not, we hold 700 people in here. So I'd like to tell you, sign up now or we're going to ride tickets, but (laughs) plenty of time to sign up, but sign up, get your tickets now. We're going to have a great time. And then uh, lastly, just want to let you know that we have a child dedication and a baptism service today. And uh, child dedications are an opportunity for parents to uh, commit themselves to their kids, uh, to help them understand how to have a relationship with Christ. And so child dedication is something that's really a commitment on behalf of the parents, but baptism is an opportunity for us to, uh, to celebrate um, a person's decision uh, for Christ. And so it's a blessing to be able to invest in our kids, uh, see them raised up to come to know the Lord. In fact, I just really quick, is, uh, I think uh, Kyle and Emily Smoot in here. Kyle and Emily Smoot, where are you going? Yeah, so stand up for a second. Newlyweds. <laughs> so congratulations. Welcome back. Kyle was an integral part of our ministry, our children's ministry coming up. Uh, Jim is uh, an elder. His wife's Tracy serves in our children's ministry. And so it is a blessing to be able to see your kids grow up, um, to understand uh, how to have a relationship with Christ and to be able to, to turn them loose into the world knowing that uh, God's watching over them. And so child dedication and baptism are two separate things. And so if you have questions about that, we'd love the opportunity to talk with you about that. We have a child dedication at the second service. Today we have a baptism service. Uh, we've got Corin Borson who's going to come out now. Corin and uh, uh, Mike um, Fortin is going to get baptized as well, but it's been a blessing for me to be able to see um, how God has been working in and through the lives of the Boyson family. Um, the, they've got a, they've got, I've got twins. I've got all girls in my family. So every time your family comes walking in the door, I'm like, oh, I love my family. <laughs> but it's been encouraging. I know that uh, you've been serving in children's ministry. I know um, Corinne has uh, made a faith commitment and uh, has been talking to her parents. And um, uh, it was interesting because, um, you know, we want to make sure kids understand how to have a relationship with Christ. And so just in talking with uh, Corinne and her parents, it was like, well, I believe Jesus Christ is, is God. They died for my sins, that I've sinned that separates me from God. And, and so somebody needs to tell me why I can't make a faith commitment and get baptized. And so she is excited about getting baptized. And so we're excited about being able to celebrate this day um, with you and your family. And it's my prayer for you, Corinne, that God would just guard your heart and your mind as you continue to grow up into adulthood. Uh, We're looking forward to all that God has for you. And so are you ready to get baptized? All right. Yes. (laughs) Good job. Thanks, Mom. All right, then turn around and sit down. So nice and warm. Kind of deep, isn't it? I'm gonna take you want me to take your glasses for you. Can see when you get out. There you go. All right, Corinne. Do you understand it's a, your sin that separates you from Jesus? And do you believe that He has died on the cross for your sins? Yes. Do you believe that He rose again, and when He comes back, He's going to come get you to be with Him? Yes. Outstanding, Corinne. Based on your testimony of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So plug your nose. All right. Yay! Good job. <laughs> All right, Mike. Mike Fortin, come out now. It's a tough act to follow a nice little girl in there. <laughs> but I like your hair. <laughs> 
I'll step out this way a little bit, Mike. Mike, it has been a uh, privilege for me to just be able to get to know you and to hear your testimony of faith. I know you're in uh, Larry White's uh, small group. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, and yeah. how long have you been at Springbrook? A couple months. A couple months, yeah. It's been encouraging to see how you've come in. You've been connected. And uh, I know as we've had an opportunity to talk, you've made a faith commitment. How old were you when you made your faith commitment? I was uh, 20 years old. Yeah, about 20 years old. And so uh, for baptism for you today, is what's the significance of your baptism today? I wanted to make a public declaration of faith and to be fully committed to what it is I'm doing, to be a part of this community here. Outstanding. Mike, we're excited about what God has for you. We're glad you're here. <laughs> well, if you want to jump on them there. All right. I'll take your glasses, too. You brought some new socks, right? <laughs> Thank you. All right. Let's flip around. All right. Comfy, isn't it? Mike, do you understand that it's your sin that separates you from God? Yeah. And do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for those sins? Do you believe that he was resurrected and he rose again? And then when he comes back, he's going to collect all the believers to be with him? Yes. Outstanding. Mike, will I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit based on your testimony of faith? I'm with you. It's kind of disordered when you're looking for your glasses, isn't it? <laughs> well, I just want to encourage you, if you have any questions about baptism, if you are interested in being baptized, we would love the opportunity to talk with you. Um, you can uh, visit our website. You can text uh, baptism to, those, to that keyword that we have uh, for you. But if you have any questions, we'd love to, uh, to celebrate that step with you. Pastor Tim's going to come out now, and we want to thank you for being with us this morning. Good morning. You know, it's only been, what, two weeks or so since um, Amazon Prime Days. You know, that sale that they were advertising where there were all sorts of deals on things. And it's hard to believe that we're only about two or three weeks away from Thanksgiving and, of course, the inevitable Black Friday that follows that. It's a time where everybody's thinking about sales and all of the stuff that, uh, that there is available to buy and of course, merchants want to uh, try to tempt us, not only as we're thinking uh, a little bit further out, thinking about Christmas and gifts to get for others, but they also want to tempt us to think about something small for ourselves as well, like one of those Lexus cars with the big red bow on the top. You know, but, but with advertisements everywhere about all of the different things there are to buy, and then uh, with sales like that Prime Days uh, um, that that's just taken place, or, or the Black Friday ads that they, that they put out, um, it's, it's easy to find ourselves craving things that we had never even thought about before. You know, we see the, the, the super deal on the big screen TV, and we think to ourselves, well, I know I've got three, but they're just not big enough. So I, I deserve a new TV. Or uh, simply because we're looking through the sales catalog and we happen to see that a new pair of jumper cables is available for $2.99 and we think, I'm going to buy five of them because it's such a great deal. And you never know when you may need five sets of jumper cables, right? It is really hard to walk 
through the journey, especially perhaps of this upcoming season, and hold on to a sense of contentment. In fact, we live in a world, we live in a culture where it is easy to find ourselves discontent over everything. There's always more to get. There's always more to pursue. Newer, bigger, better. And I don't know if you've ever found yourself struggling with feeling discontent even over something that yesterday you were so thankful to have. I wonder, as we march through this Christian life, how do we how do we live contentedly in the midst of this world? You know, as the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church in the ancient city of Philippi, as he wrapped up the, uh, that letter that today we call the letter of Philippians, he helps us to understand what it looks like to learn what he calls the secret of contentment. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time there this morning. I invite you to grab your Bibles and join me in Philippians chapter 4 as we learn this secret of contentment. And in the midst of what he's going to say to us as he writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we're going to, in a sense, trip over one of these statements that in our series in recent weeks we've been working through. Some of the statements that we've seen in recent weeks have been really utterly unbiblical statements, but they're statements that people uh, uh, falsely think have biblical truth to them. Some of them are kind of have a ring of truth, but we, we use them in a trite way. Well, this morning we're going to look at a statement in the midst of what Paul is saying as he writes this letter, as he's talking about biblical contentment. We're going to look at what is probably a familiar statement. This one's different than some of the others we've looked at because it's right here in the Bible. And so when we say this, we are, we are quoting Scripture. The problem is that we often twist its meaning and miss the context. And so this morning we're going to look at this within context. The statement, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And what we're going to see is that the context, that what that is talking about is it is talking about the secret of a life that is contented in God. And so let's have a look together. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 10, we read these words. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. 
Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. And Paul, as he is uh, finishing up this letter that uh, is written to the Philippians, he, he is essentially instructing them and thanking them for a gift that they've sent. But he, he shows us that if we are to know a contented life, then we must trust in the goodness and the wisdom of God and rely on his sufficient strength. And so Paul here in this passage is rejoicing in the Lord over this gift that the Philippian church have sent to him. But he's also letting them know that it actually didn't change his attitude. Now, uh, for a little bit of context, since we're jumping into this particular passage, we've not come through the whole book of Philippians here, but um, Paul is in, a, is in a Roman prison cell. Paul is facing trial, and although he's expecting that he will be released and ultimately will be, uh, he was under the, the, the possibility of being put to death because of his faith in Jesus Christ. A few years later, he would indeed find himself in a Roman prison cell again and ultimately be martyred for the faith. Uh, but as he's writing this letter to the Philippians, he is in a prison cell. He is literally chained day and night to Roman guards. And he writes this letter, and throughout the letter, from beginning to end, we see that the great pursuit of Paul's life is to know Jesus and to know him with ever-increasing intimacy. And because of that, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the setting that he finds himself in, Paul, throughout this letter, is able to say, I am filled with joy because my pursuit is to know Christ and to make him known. Then the fact that I'm in a Roman prison cell doesn't steal my joy. The fact that there are opponents trying to take advantage of my situation to promote themselves and to kind of kick me while I'm down doesn't steal my joy. And the fact that I have very real material needs. Doesn't steal my joy. Nevertheless, thank you for the gift that you sent. You see, in the ancient world, if you were in prison, you did not have three square meals a day, a fully equipped prison infirmary, and an athletic center or activity lounge. No. In fact, you were entirely dependent on the generosity of others outside to bring provisions for your well-being. So you only ate if somebody happened to pass by and bring something and literally pass it through the prison bars. And the Philippian church have sent a gift 
We'll see in a few minutes that they are consistent in doing this. He says, you have uh, uh, revived your concern. He says, you've been concerned for me all along, but you had no opportunity to show it. It's probably because Paul had been moved from place to place to place, and it probably took them a while to even figure out, where do we get this to him? What's really interesting, though, is that as he writes this letter... It, it, it kind of seems strange to us because in the comments, in a sense, it's almost like a, a personal thank you note that we find here at the end of the letter. So in chapters 1 and 2 and 3, in the first part of chapter 4, Paul's giving instruction. He's, he's teaching as he does in many of his epistles. And then he comes to this section towards the close of this letter. And this is sort of the personal thank you. But as a part of his thank you note, and this seems a little peculiar to us, imagine getting a thank you note like this. It's like, thank you so much for the gift. I really didn't need it. But that's essentially what he's saying. And it's not that he didn't need it because he didn't have needs. He had very real needs. He is saying to them, thank you so much for the gift. I really didn't need it because I know what it is to have plenty. And I know what it is to have very little. And I've learned the secret of contentment in each setting. In fact, look at the words he uses here. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be bought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things. Through him who strengthens me. I think it's really interesting here that he, this is something that Paul recognizes has to be learned. I've learned the secret of being content. Now, we don't have to learn how to be discontent. Have you ever noticed that? We don't have to learn how to be discontent. We, we, we come about that really easy, really naturally. As soon as, you know, even these young children... We can love the toy that we're playing with right up until we see another child playing with a different toy. And it's like, I want that one. We, we learn or we practice from an early age discontentment. But to learn contentment, that's, that's a whole different thing. And Paul says, I know what it is to have plenty. I know what it is to be in need. The secret of contentment is ultimately to trust the goodness and the wisdom of God. So, when we think about that, that is a profound statement, that the secret of contentment is ultimately to trust in the, the wisdom and the goodness of God. Uh, we trust in the goodness of God as we recognize that He is a benevolent, kind, generous God who g delights to give good gifts to His children. We trust in the wisdom of God in that He knows all things. That the way that God chooses is the way that we would always choose if we could just see all of the pieces. That God knows the best possible means to the best possible outcome. And that is the way that he always leads us in. Because his wisdom is unsearchable. 
and his goodness never ends. And so Paul recognizes here that the secret of contentment ultimately is about trusting in the goodness and in the wisdom of God. It allows Paul here and allows us as we learn this to say, what I have, I have because God says it is enough. And if God has deemed it to be enough, then I should not crave more. What I have, I have because God says it is enough. And if God says it is enough, then I should not crave more. Wow, that's, that's difficult. That's a difficult place for our hearts to find a, a place of being settled in. But what that also does is it challenges us, challenges me, because you see, discontentment is therefore not so much about what we don't have. It's not so much about material things. It's not so much about a a, a lack of status that we think we should have. Ultimately, at the root of discontentment is a theological issue. At the root of discontentment is, God, I don't think that you're good or wise in my situation. God, uh, uh, if you were really good, if you were really wise, then you would give me what I want. And ultimately, it becomes a theological situation in which we try to put ourselves above God and instruct him as to what is good. And what is wise? What is enough? And as Paul writes here to the Philippian church, he says, I know what it is to have an abundance. And when I have an abundance, it's because God has deemed to give it to me. And I know what it is to be in need. And when I'm in need, it is because God, in his wisdom, has deemed to allow me to experience that need at that time. Now, I want to be practical here because being content, trusting in in, in the goodness and in the wisdom of God does not simply mean that we resign ourselves and uh, to whatever state we're in and never pursue anything else and never, uh, never hope for anything else. It, it, it's not that we, that we don't put our name forward and maybe try to get that promotion. It's not that we don't look for a job that pays more. It's not that we don't um, maybe consider a, a new home which can better seek the, suit the needs of our family. But instead of those things becoming an idol, instead of them being something that we are craving for, they are things that we come and we bring before our merciful God and say, God, I've been thinking about this. And, uh, uh, and, and would, would you give me wisdom? Is this something that you would choose to provide? Is this a door that you would, would, would choose to lead me to, to walk in that direction? Would you provide these things? And, and there is a, a setting ourselves under his good and wise plan and saying, God, I would love to have that promotion. God, I'd love to see this thing uh, uh, in my life. But... Your will be done. One of the great challenges that we have 
is that we struggle with discontentment because we forget, we lose sight of the fact that our God, who is good and wise, is the source of everything we have. And He both gives and withholds according to His good and wise and merciful plan. And so Paul is able to rejoice and be content in any and every circumstance because his trust, his confidence is in the Lord and not in stuff. Therefore, he's able to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Again, that's a phrase that people brandish around a whole lot. You turn on a, a sports game in the interviews afterwards or, or, or typically before the game, and you'll have some well-meaning Christian athlete who wants to quote from Scripture, and they're talking about how they're going to go out and dominate the other team, and it's like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not what that means. You know, some people who, who kind of use it as, as just this, this mantra, the, this idea that, yeah, well, you know, God, God can, can do that. You know, I can stand here and I can do a backflip off of this platform and land down there without injuring myself because Christ can strengthen me. No, trust me, I can't do that. We will need to have somebody take me over to the hospital if I attempt to do that. It's not because there's a lack of faith. It's not because there's a lack of ability in God. It's just that's not what the promise is. When it comes to these kinds of statements in Scripture, always read them in context. Yes, read the Scripture, even if it's just one or two verses in a day. It's nothing wrong with getting those, those encouraging word emails in your, in your inbox. But look at the context. Don't just read one thing and think that you can make it say whatever you want. What Paul is saying here is, I can do all things, whatever circumstance I'm in. I, I can be without a meal for five days in a row. And be content because Christ strengthens me. I can live with abundance and still be content, not craving more or, or, or looking down on others who have less. Why? Because Christ is the one who strengthens me. Because he is my hope. Because he is my provider. I can live contentedly in the midst of a world that knows nothing about contentment because Christ is the one who strengthens me. That's what he's talking about here. But how do we how do we learn this kind of contentment? How do we learn a biblical contentment, a contentment that says, I, I can trust in the goodness and in the wisdom of God? Well, first of all, we want to be people who practice thankfulness for what we do have. Again, we're only a few weeks. It's, it's amazing to me that we're already only a few weeks out from Thanksgiving, right? It's that one day of the year where we actually remember to take time and say, oh, yeah, I'm thankful for this. 
But we need to practice thankfulness for what we do have, recognizing that all of it comes from our good and wise God. Anything good in your life, this moment you have, not because of your strength, not because of your ability, but because of a good and wise and merciful God. Every good and perfect gift comes from Him. Contentment starts with thankfulness. Contentment, we learn contentment when we take our needs and our requests to God and receive His peace that passes all understanding. Now, if we had the time to study uh, further afield in the context here, we would see that this passage this morning, Philippians 4, 10 uh, through 13, and uh, actually read all the way through, through verse 20 a few moments ago, but it comes hot on the heels of another wonderful promise of Scripture. There in Philippians chapter 4, so just a few verses earlier, we're told to... Um, uh, not be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, to make our requests known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So as we have needs, as we have concerns, as we face challenges and difficulties and anxieties, Take those back to God. We learn contentment as we entrust our cause to our kind and merciful God. And when we take our needs to Him, He has promised that He will provide a peace that passes all understanding, a peace that goes beyond our circumstances to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, to keep us stable and rooted and secure and not tossed around by every moment and challenging circumstance and trial that we may face. How do we learn contentment? We learn it like Paul through the book of Philippians makes abundantly clear by, by making knowing Christ the great pursuit of our life. You see, if the great pursuit of our life is our own comfort, our own convenience, our own reputation, if the great pursuit of our life is keeping up with the Joneses who live next door and making sure that our car is newer than theirs, we will never be content. But when Christ and knowing and growing in Him is the great pursuit of our life, then, then we will learn contentment. We also need to be careful what we spend our time dwelling on. Paul could have sat there and he could have spent his time dwelling on, huh, haven't received a care package from those Philippians in a while. You ever notice that we can be content right up until that moment that we switch on the TV and see the commercials? That your home is perfectly adequate right up until that moment until you sit down and watch an HGTV show? And then all of a sudden, i got to take that wall down. My life cannot be complete unless I have a, a, an open plan living area. We struggle with those things. Our 16-year-old car gets us to work perfectly fine. But when one of our coworkers shows up in a brand new one, all of a sudden our 16-year-old car doesn't look so good anymore. 
We want to be careful what we spend our time dwelling on. If the things that you watch cause you discontentment, maybe you need to find something else to do with your, to occupy your attention on. If when you go to the store, you find yourself constantly craving all of the stuff that's there, maybe you need to stop going into the store just to see what's there and just go and get your bread and milk and then leave. We want to be careful what we spend our time dwelling on. And we need to check our perspective. You need to understand that biblical contentment is not about addition. I was so helped by this. And uh, for those of you who are interested in finding a very rich read, uh, the language is a little tough because it's written by a Puritan author. Jeremiah Burroughs here. You can see he looks really happy over here in the corner, um, as a lot of those Puritans do. But there's, there, there, there is a great joy and a great depth that comes through as he writes. He says in his book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, a Christian comes to contentment not so much by way of addition as by way of subtraction. That is, his way of contentment And it is a way that the world has no skill in. I open it thus. Not so much by adding to what he would have or to what he has. Not by adding more to his condition, but rather by subtracting from his desires. So as to make his desires and his circumstances even and equal. A heart that has no grace and is not instructed in this mystery of contentment, knows of no way to get contentment, but to have his possessions raised up to his desires. But the Christian has another way to contentment, and that is that he can bring his desires down to his possessions. And so he attains his contentment. Let me paraphrase that for you. The way in which most of the world works is this. If I just get more then I'll be content. And you don't have to look too far to see that's never the case. That's never the case. He says, no, a biblical perspective contentment is this, that we bring our desires, our cravings, our pursuits down to the level of what God has provided in that moment. And we satisfy ourselves again in the wisdom and the goodness of God. That's not to say that there may not be growth in those circumstances in the future. But to bring our desire down to a thankfulness level for that which we have. And that's what we see the Apostle Paul doing here. And so we might say that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me means that no matter my circumstances, I can live the contented and joy-filled life, trusting in the goodness and in the wisdom of God and being generous with whatever he provides. Now, we're a little tight on time, but uh, uh, there's a second aspect that Paul teases out of this in the passage that I read just a few moments ago because he goes on in the following verses and he shows us that contentment and generosity must go hand in hand to produce spiritual fruit in our life. I'll show you what, what I mean by that as we look here at the biblical text. Paul expresses his gratitude again for the generous and consistent support of the Philippians. We see that in verses 14 through verse 20. They have been faithful partners even from the, from the moment that they first received the gospel message. And, and he goes on again to say that, that I've received this gift. I'm, I, my, my needs are now met. He says, not that I sought the gift 
verse 17, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And so he's praising God, not that they've sent him a gift, but in their generosity, it actually bears spiritual fruit in their lives. And the point that he is, is drawing out in these verses is that generosity is a key to spiritual maturity. That you can be generous without being spiritually mature, but you cannot be spiritually mature without being generous. And so, so he's rejoicing in God because their generosity is, is an indicator of the spiritual fruit of the spiritual maturity that is forming in their lives. And, and more than that, he makes the point that you cannot learn the secret of contentment without generosity. Because generosity is a key weapon to free us from covetousness. I mean, think about that. In, in generosity, we are acknowledging that God is our provider. And we are also trusting Him to continue to be our provider. One of, the, one of the great challenges with discontent is that it is wrapped up in a fear, not only that we won't get the stuff that we are craving and chasing after, but a fear that we might lose something of what we've got. Whereas in generosity, we in a sense are laying it back before the Lord again and saying, God, you're the one who provided this in the first place. I give as an act of thanksgiving to you because I trust that you will indeed continue to provide. And so, in those verses, he, he praises God. He says, now I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the, the, the gifts that you sent. The gifts that you sent, and I love the way he describes this. He says, what you sent is like a fragrant offering. That's not saying that he, was, he received a bunch of scented candles. It is instead saying it is, it is a, a gift that is honoring to the Lord. It's like a sweet sacrifice. And in fact, he uses that as he goes forward, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. We don't know what the gift was. We don't know if it was a monetary gift. We don't know if it was like a care package, you know, with packets of Twizzlers and other stuff in there. I don't know. We're not told. But whatever it is, he recognizes that it was an expression of a generous heart. It was an expression of the fact that they were devoting themselves to the Lord. And then he follows this up with a second promise. This is not technically part of our series um, in terms of those statements, but it's another one of those statements of Scripture that people often twist. Because he says here in verse 20, and my God, will supply every need of yours according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That is not a name it and claim it passage. That is not a God's going to make you rich beyond your wildest dreams passage, as sadly some try to preach it. But instead, what seems to be happening here is that the Philippians, out of their genuine care and loving concern for Paul, they gave to the point that it hurt. They gave to the point that they were then in need and lacking in some areas. And what Paul is making known to them is that God is able to, out of his abundant riches and glory, provide in response to their gift something that Paul could never repay. 
I like the way that Homer Kent puts this. He says, those who share generously with others, especially to advance the work of the Lord, are promised a divine supply of anything they might lack because of their generosity. So again, we see how context helps us to understand this principle. Do you get that? This is a wonderful promise of Scripture, but we can't claim it for ourselves if we're not practicing generosity. And I want to propose to you, we cannot know the secret of contentment unless we are trusting the Lord and exhibiting that trust through generous acts of service with our time, with our talents, and with our treasures. And so we might again ask the question, how do we put this into practice? Well, first of all, before we look at this quote from C.S. Lewis, I do want to just acknowledge and say thank you, even as we took time here today with pastor appreciation. There are so many here at Springbrook who generously serve through their, the giving of their time, through the giving of their talents, their gifts, their abilities, their skills, their experience, and through their treasures financially to support the work of ministry both here and through Springbrook to this community and throughout this region and even around the world. And so I just want to say thank you for that. Sometimes we wrestle with this area and sometimes in churches and kind of be uncomfortable when we're talking about this issue of generosity, but it comes right here in our passage this morning. And C.S. Lewis helps a little bit here again with this idea of contentment. But this is also challenging. He says, I do not believe that one can easily settle how much we ought to give. I am afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably not giving, uh, we, rather, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say that they are too small. There ought to be things that we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. And I've got to tell you, that challenges me. It challenges me. But it gets to the heart of this issue of contentment because often our expectation is that we would live at least at the common standard of other people who are in a similar income range to us. But that's simply not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity holds these two things together. The one is that our pursuit is of Christ and not earthly things. And so we find contentment in whatever our good and wise God gives to us. And we find that contentment as we with open-handedness invest ourselves as the Philippians did in providing for the needs of the saints and supporting the work of the gospel wherever it may be taking place. And so, as we close, and as the worship team prepares to come out, we see that biblical generosity meets the needs of the saints and advances the work of the gospel. 
Biblical generosity sets us free from covetousness and discontent. It produces spiritual fruit in our lives, just as it did, and as Paul commended and, and, and praised God for in the life of the, uh, of the Philippian church. And it is backed up by God's faithful promise. It's backed up by His promise that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We can find sweet joy and satisfaction, whether in plenty or in need, because our hope is on Christ. And we can know that as we generously give, He knows how to faithfully provide. And so, again, our statement that so often is taken out of context, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That means no matter my circumstances, you and I can live contented and joy-filled lives, trusting in the goodness and in the wisdom of God and being generous with what He provides. How are you doing with contentment? Where are those areas that you wrestle with discontentment? Take them to the Lord and keep on looking to Jesus as the greatest pursuit, the greatest thing that you're chasing after in your life. And by God's grace, everything else will find its proper size. Our Father, we thank you once again for your word And we thank you for the glorious promises that we find in this passage this morning. Lord, would you teach us to find joy and peace and contentment in what you have wisely and generously given. Lord, in those areas where we have need, and you know those areas, oh God, help us to keep on bringing them to you, not demanding, but trusting. And Lord, whether we should experience great abundance or face times of need, may our greatest delight in any circumstance be found in Christ Jesus. Lord, thank you for each one gathered here. Thank you for the work that you are doing in their lives. Thank you for the generosity of the saints in this church. Would you, by your Holy Spirit, continue to bear great fruit through each one gathered here for the glory of your name and for the advancement of the message of salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout Huntley, throughout this region, and to the ends of the earth. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with us as we sing this last song?
In every eye that sees me, 
praise your name this morning, Father. All the glory and honor and praise to you, to you alone. As we prepare to leave this place, let's prepare to leave knowing that God goes before us, that he leads the way, that we don't have to be anxious, discontent, or worried about anything, knowing that God leads our hearts. He's the basis of all of our knowledge, all of our strength. Let's go in peace. Thank you.